Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is uh, May 31st, 2013, last day of the month, and it's Friday, 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 but we will not be doing a listener call-in show. I'm going to push the listener call show to Monday and the regular feedback show to Tuesday, and I'm going to bring to you episode four of Women of Prepping with uh, a really fun gal named uh, Tabitha Betancourt. And uh, there's a reason I'm doing that. I won't say exactly what it is, but it has to do with a logistical pain in my ass. And you know who you are when you hear this. And I get a feeling you'll actually uh, get a kick out of being known that way on the air because it was a fun time. Uh, but right now I have some stuff I got to take care of. And uh, doing a call-in show is a very time-consuming show and putting a, a hole into my morning has uh, disrupted my ability to get that done for you guys today and get it up on the air, let's say, any earlier than 3.30. And uh, I don't want to do that today, so I'm just going to bring you Women of Prepping Episode 4. I thought we had a great interview yesterday. Um, this is a fun interview. You're going to enjoy it. Um, there's a contrast here, though. We had two totally different personalities with a lot of the same conclusions and a lot of great advice. Before I do that, though, I do have uh, some housekeeping to take care of. Housekeeping item one, as always, is our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one, Sawtooth Tactical. Everything you need to live the tactical lifestyle can be found at Sawtooth Tactical. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated, and they call themselves Sawtooth Tactical because they're located in the Sawtooth Wilderness of Idaho. Great products, everything from uh, Maxpedition Bags, uh, SOE Tactical Gear, uh, Magpole Magazines, the awesome Titanium Spork, and anything else you can think of, you'll find it at Sawtooth Tactical at SawTac.com. Remember, they do offer you guys a discount. If you're members of the MSB, go into your benefits section and get the discount before you order from them. Not every sponsor does a discount in the MSB, but the majority of them do, so make sure you check first. I did have somebody email me today and go, what's the discount for? Go into your members area of the MSB and look for the latest discount codes. I don't give them out by email because I'd have to verify your membership before I went and gave you the discount code. That's an agreement I have with the vendors that support it to not release those things publicly and make members have to use their membership to get them. Just a little extra housekeeping there. Next up today, ready-made resources. There's not much more than we can ask for from a company than for their name to say what they do. Then have them do it consistently time and time again over and over. That's what ready-made resources does. You go to readymaderesources.com, point, click, and buy, and you'll find all the resources you need uh, for your prepping ready-made and ready to go, just like it says. Great pricing, great service, incredible selection. I mean everything. Tactical check, practical check, long-term storage foods check, long-term storage food uh, items like Mylar, O2 absorbers, uh, pressure canners, and everything else. Check, check, and check. If you can think of it and it applies to your prepping, solar, wind, energy, you, you whatever you can come up with, you will find it at ReadyMade Resources with great pricing, great service. Point click buy at ReadyMadeResources.com. Ship to your door. Uh, great service, great pricing. I guess I said that already today. I'm a little discombobulated. Anyway, um, I do have another really important announcement. I need support in this one. I need you guys to get out and vote and get this done in 30 days so we can start to move this thing forward. As I mentioned yesterday, the voting at walkingtofreedom.com is over for just who sucks the worst. 
And now we're voting with how we finalize the list. Do we do 10? Do we 10 in a watch list? DC made the list of the crappiest places. I agree it's crappy, but I personally don't feel that it's a state. And I don't think it belongs on the list because it's just the district of criminals. And it doesn't really fit and jive with the whole 50 states of the republic thing. So personally, I want it out, but I'm running this thing democratically. So however it comes out is how we're going to run with it. There'll be a link today in the show notes. It'll say vote to finalize the walking to freedom naughty list. Please get over to the forum and vote on that. Your vote doesn't count unless you cast it. And uh, we want to do the best job we can with this and read my uh, my thoughts and ideas and, and why I suggest we do things the way we do there, but then vote the way you think we should do things. And I'm also, and you'll you'll find some notice uh, information about that, looking for someone that can take all the data and put it into a nice-looking PDF-style report with some color in it and stuff like that, branded with Walking to Freedom, because once we get this finalized, I'm going to do an official press release and things like that and really get this forum off to a big start. If you have not joined Walking to Freedom, It is too late to vote on the naughty list for 2013. It is not too late to vote on how exactly we choose the naughty list based on the voting. And it's certainly not too late to help people that are looking to make a move to a more free part of our country find the right state for them. Walking to freedom. Dot com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You'll help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents per episode. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty and prior service, and first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters, anybody in that vein. You guys can get a discount if you email me before, not after you join, and uh, tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did if you're prior service. And I'll send you a discount code to thank you for your service that'll save you even more money on a product that already saves you tons. Uh, to do that, email me at jack at the com and put service discount in the subject line. Before I bring Tabitha on, just a reminder, the best way to get in touch with me with anything is to send me an email at jack at the com. And if you include for Jack in the subject line, I'm a lot more likely to see it if it ends up in the spam box. I get all types of crap that comes in all the time. It's like proposals with messages on Facebook or private messages on forums. Some I don't even remember I'm members of or LinkedIn. It's not a good idea. There's two reasons. One, I don't have time. Uh, I really don't. I try to keep things as centralized as I can. Emails my way that I do that. Uh, number two, generally speaking, when I get stuff from people on LinkedIn or something like that, it's people that found me that don't know TSP from Adam. And that may not be you, and you might have used it anyway, but I probably am going to assume that. Uh, I get proposals all the time on LinkedIn and go, you, you can't possibly, you can't possibly have any idea who I am. Uh, what my show's about and what my community's about and what my audience is about. And therefore, I'm not really interested in your proposal uh, because I, I view TSP as something special and something that should be uh, unique to our community. And the people that are bringing things to the table should know who they're dealing with. I, I know that may come off a little off-putting to new people or, or a little bit arrogant. It's really not. What I'm trying to say is that this community is special. The people of this community are special. Every time I have a group of people uh, over to the house, like for the workshop recently or I do an expo, I get reminded of how special this group is. And I really feel that the least that somebody that wants something from our community can do, the very least, is to at least listen to an episode or two, poke around the website, and understand something like, oh, it's a podcast. Okay, before I start getting emails that are clearly designed to be form emails to somebody that writes a blog. 
and they don't even know there's a show with it, uh, or to at least know that you know we actually talk about certain things already, that that wouldn't be a brand new topic for us, because uh, it might be a topic that we talk about over and over and over again, and they bring it to you like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and you've never heard of it before. These are all things that tell me that somebody wants a piece of TSP because they've looked at it cursory enough to know that it's a large audience, but that they don't really know you, they don't know the community, They don't really understand what TSP stands for. And to such people, if they won't put the effort into at least get a little understanding of that, they're not worthy of being, you know, of having me do anything to recommend them to you. And again, I know that when somebody sends me an email with Four Jack, they've at least listened to one episode. Sorry to go on about that, but I just got several this morning through LinkedIn that I'm just like, You know, really, I mean, come on, at least know who you're talking to. And again, I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean that if you're talking to anybody, it's a good idea to know who you're talking to before you start running off about how great your stuff is. Anyway, with that, uh, on to better things. Let's uh, let's get Tabitha here, and uh, let's talk about her adventures, adventures like meeting the mice, battling the giant dirt pile, building a rain, collect rain collection system that is, in her words, pretty, and... Uh, Building a pallet or a wall, a retaining wall out of trash and pallets and love and war with tires. And with that, hey, Tabitha, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Well, thank you, Jack. Hey, uh, I want to talk to you uh, about how you got into prepping because you are uh, batter number four, I guess, in our Women of Prepping series. But before we even get to that, I'd just like, could you tell people about who you know who you are what's your background um you know were you always a prepper or did is it something you, you eventually came to <laughs> i uh, i thought preppers were crazy i'm so sorry um That's okay my husband you, we lived in the fifth largest city in california and i was a 911 dispatcher for that police department and my husband was an officer And he would go on mission trips for peace officers for Christ to Colombia and um, Guatemala. And he comes back from one with the Patriots book. And he's like, you've got to read this. You've got to read this. And I looked at him like, oh, dude, you are so crazy. And he tells me, I want to start doing this. And I looked at him and I said, okay, well, that's what your allowance is for. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we each had very generous allowances. And I'm like, well, that's what your allowance is for, dude. You can spend it however you want. Me, I'm going to be at Macy's. And he got serious about it. And I, I love the man. He is so cool. And I just, I'm like, okay, well, let me read the book. And he knows I'm not going to sit down and read something. So he got me the audio version. And I, uh, I read it, and everything in it other than the zip drive was totally plausible to me in some way, shape, or form for the way we worked. Because we worked in, I mean, let's, let's just say it, if the world really knew how dangerous it was in that city, they would all own guns. And uh, I started looking into it while I was at work. We had extra time, and I'm looking into it, and I'm going, this starts to make sense. <laughs> and that, that's about it. So, like, when you, when you finally, like, decided this made sense, what were some of the first things that you were willing to do? Well, being that we were from California and we lived there, we already had the um, earthquake preparedness. Most people that had been through one, and I, I had been through a pretty big one. I actually lost our condo. Um, that we, you know, we had the water, we had the, the extra food, and, you know, we were, and being in law enforcement, you pretty much are able to take care of yourself. 
So you don't ever want to be a burden to society in our in our world. Um, so what we just ended up doing was um, making sure the safety aspect was was met for where we were, um, analyzing our neighbors. Uh, then we decided we came up to where we're at now just for visiting, and the oh this was about 2008 and. 2009, we were just like, we wanted to get out of the big city, because that just got more important for us. And the more we started looking into land and retirement, the more interesting our plans just started growing. All of a sudden, our 10-year plan became a five-year plan, and then our five-year plan became a two-year plan, and then our two-year plan was, hey, you know what, this agency is hiring, this agency is hiring for you, and we both picked up and moved. And... Um, now my now I'm retired and all I do is sit on the land and prep. So I mean, how, how, when you left California, um, did, did did that feel good? I mean, were you were you you know? I mean, California's a weird thing when people leave it because there's um, well, there's the political climate that if you're liberty oriented is generally not very good. But in the end, the state is kind of a cool state geographically. It's beautiful. I mean, absolutely beautiful. It was. In the 70s and 80s, because we're both native Californians, and being a native Californian is being different, um, because you've been there from when it was beautiful and everybody could thrive and everybody worked together, um, to now I can't even I couldn't even go to a grocery store and say hello to somebody because well there was two incidents one they they don't speak English so okay. you say hello and they look at you like you're crazy and you ask a question and they shake their head and you go you don't speak English do you and they go no and you're like okay so you you now nobody can talk to anybody um and then the next thing that happened for us was I was in the grocery store and I did say made eye contact which is something you just don't do down there I accidentally made eye contact with this this guy and all of a sudden now I'm being followed by him and then when I go to check out, he's standing by the door. And, you know, you tell these women, safety-wise, if it doesn't feel right or if the hair's on the back of your neck stand up, then just don't do what you're, don't do what you're going to be doing next. So I sat for five minutes. I stood at the counter, and I told them, the checkout lady, I need a manager to walk me out. And that guy got so mad when I walked out of that grocery store with um, the manager. Like, he was angry that I wasn't going to let him attack me. Yeah, how dare you not, you know, allow him to approach you or whatever? I mean, there, there is sort of an attitude like that um, among criminals. Like, you know, why why didn't you be my victim? Exactly, exactly. And you know, I talk to these women on the phone all the time. I mean, that's what I did. And my I worked a ten hour shift if I wasn't ordered back, and being ordered back was mandatory overtime. And I'm going to tell you, we paid off our land with our mandatory overtime from that agency. Oh, wow. And um, it's amazing. On a 10-hour shift, if I was to answer phones the whole time, I would be answering 200 phone calls a day. I guess, you know, we talk a lot about how, you know, law enforcement is in the field operative that gets out there and does the work, gets an interesting view into uh, criminal activity. But I, I, we've never really talked about the concept of a dispatcher. But in, in essence, you would get a much broader view with that, that job because, the, you know, you might be dispatching to 200 incidences, you know, 100 officers, uh, but you're actually privy to all of them. 
as a uh, when you're answering the phones at that agency, you didn't do both. You did one or the other. Okay. And when and you changed every two hours because you had to give the people on phones and the people on radio a break, um, just so that they they weren't you know because when you're on radio you can't just get up. Um, being on phones, you you literally see all. You're getting you're looking at the calls. You're seeing everybody call in. Um, you're getting one day, you're, one moment you're getting a barking dog call, which they no longer responded to. Um, mm. And the next minute you're getting an I've been shot. And that's just every day. Yeah. Yeah, everything from the yo, man, the, uh, the, the aliens are landing in the park to, you know, people in serious, uh, serious need of help. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's calls that come in from a person needs help and you end up knowing that help didn't get there in time. Oh. That's that's got to be pretty interesting. It's not really what I plan on talking about today, but just when you, you know, you mentioned that, I started thinking about it. It's, it's kind of a unique view into the uh, criminal underworld. Well, it's really unique. I mean, I'm just reading. I was just online um, before this. They passed the bill, I guess, in California, and our, my in-laws are actually moving at the end of um, July out of California, and most people that we know are wanting out of California because of the gun laws and the crime that's going on. But the uh, the one aspect of it is um, it's so easy for criminals to get guns. It's unbelievable, and mm. and it is it's it's dangerous there. And the majority of the people that don't work in law enforcement don't understand just how dangerous it is. And law enforcement isn't going to tell you because they just don't want to talk about it when they're off work. No, I understand that the mechanic never wants to talk about carburetors when he's off work either, no. and his job's a lot less uh, dark, let's say. Um, and I think the administrators in those situations really don't want to talk about it because then the next question obviously is, well, why aren't you fixing it? And There's nothing. Uh, it, it's interesting that you say it's very easy to get a gun as a criminal in California. Uh, where it's difficult to get one as a law-abiding citizen, it's, uh, it just seems like that's the way it always works out. Oh, yeah. But it's, um, it, it's extremely difficult for us to get guns, and there's a waiting period. So if a woman feels like she's going to be raped or she has a... Um, domestic violence passed, which is the, I mean, a ton of phone calls that I was getting. Um, then they have to wait 10 days so that they can get a gun. But, and the, it, I mean, like I said before, if they really knew how dangerous it was, it's, it's scary. I mean, even one of our own officer's wives was um, robbed as she was co- going into the bank just before I had left. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, so how does that contrast with where you are now? Oh, my gosh, it's totally different. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually worked for the 911 system up here, and um, I remember the look on my face. They must have thought I was crazy when I was asking all these questions. And, and then one of the dispatchers left her door and her car door. She went out and turned on her truck and was warming up her truck before about 10 minutes before she got off work. And and I kind of looked at her and I'm like, why would you do that? Yeah. Because <laughs> to me, that's the best way to get your car taken. I mean, I would take seven calls in a morning for a car being stolen, and I'm one of 19 dispatchers answering phones. And uh, um, she just looked at me like I was crazy. There is some crime up here, but it's mostly um, just starting. The uh, The one thing we're seeing stuff, here that happened started in California probably 15 years ago, and um, and and they have the same attitude as Californians um, did back then 15 years ago. And there's nothing you can do to change it. I mean, they just don't understand what's coming. 
Yeah, I think there's that's a big like a lot of places that have a lower crime rate. That in in some ways they may be worse off in a, a collapse scenario because they're not mentally conditioned to understand the risk. Where the person in L.A. or the person that you know has to routinely be in a place like even downtown Dallas, Texas, knows, hey, criminals take opportunities. So even if you're in an area that's low crime, you still have that background knowledge in your head, and you kind of keep your finger on the pulse, and you know when things have kind of taken a turn, and you go into that alert mode. Where um, when I was in Vermont, for instance, at a, a design course with Ben Falk, you know, people were leaving their keys in their car. Oh gosh! And I don't mean I don't mean like to run into a store. I mean like there were like 20 cars parked up and down Ben's road for all the students, and every car had keys hanging out of the ignition. Yep. And I'm just like, man, I, you know, and I and I did a talk with those guys about preparedness, and they said, you know, it's great that you live in a community like this, but you need to understand it only takes one person to victimize you, and that if things start to go wrong, the person that you never thought would will. Yeah, and, and uh, it didn't go in very. You could tell it didn't go in. You know, it was like it bounced off the cranium. They just don't understand. I mean, they leave stuff in their car. I'm in the grocery store two months ago, I think it was, and I'm freaking out because I realized I left my phone in the, the phone holder in my car on the dash. And I'm like, I need to be right back. And I, I'm shaking. I have to go outside because I left my phone in the car. And back where I'm, I'm from, that phone would not still be there if it had been left in my car and somebody saw me walk away. They yeah, locked or not, they'll break a window because they know it's worth doing because there's the phone. Exactly. So she, they're all looking at me like, your phone will be okay. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad I have that, um, yeah. that, that way because, you know, I leave my car unlocked on the land once for four days. And I'm like freaking out because I very, very rarely drive off the land anymore. and too much work here. And I'm freaking out because, oh, my gosh, I left it. And the first thing I did was open the door and looked in to see if the stereo was still there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand. So let's let's talk a little bit about your lifestyle now, which is very different from the old California lifestyle. Um, you said in your notes here that you like to hoard um, toilet paper, beans, and wheat, and feminine products. Um, Dorothy's laying on the floor probably laughing right now because she's a toilet paper hoarder. Um, I promise you, if we run out of food, if we run out of bullets, if we run out of Band-Aids, we will still have toilet paper. So what's up with that and the toilet paper? You know, you never want to be without. I mean, me and and it, and it leaves on the tree. I, you know, if I have to, yes. But no, you're talking to a girl that used to that used to shop at Macy's and wear her little heel shoes and dress in her little cute clothes. And now I'll be lucky if I get out of fleece nine months out of the year. But don't tell anybody back from California I wear fleece. <laughs> Is it not in vogue there or something? Oh, no. so not. <laughs> So not. I have a rep I need to keep. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's blown now if anybody listens to this show. Um, but you also, even now, you still look at some of your husband's ideas and think he's nuts, but then you say you usually come around? No, actually, sometimes, yeah. He <laughs> he comes up with these really weird things, and I'm like, really? But then it's even like yesterday where we were driving because he's, he's um, still in law enforcement, and we had to go to a – he had to go to court on his day off, so I decided, oh, I'll go with him. And I don't remember what it was, but we're driving in, and he said something, and I'm like – so totally agree with you. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, now it doesn't make so much, now it doesn't sound so crazy, does it? And I'm like, no. But back before when he was talking about it, it really did sound crazy. So I, I have this fabulous guy, you know, 
he's absolutely, I thought he was nuts when he brings up this prepping idea or survivalist, whatever. But he just, he doesn't say anything. He never argues with me. He just lets me soak it in and lets me discover the truth for myself. And then he looks at me with this big smile on his face like, yeah, honey, I got you. I knew you'd come around. (laughs) Well, I think that's good because I think when you push an idea on somebody, it generally doesn't work out very well. No, but now I think think I'm probably right along the same borderlines as him with uh, the prepping ideas. I mean, we meet probably every four months. We sit down and we have a big list on the back of the office door. Um, Office is very useful very uh, loose because we live in a 693 square foot cottage. So, okay. So office is kind of like one wall in my closet. Um, we have like index cards up and down the door and it's all of the plans, everything we're doing on the land, all the preps, all the places that, you know, the stuff we need to have and the goals and everything. And we just work them one by one and they're all organized in the order. Cause we're starting out with nothing. We had no buildings when we moved here. And we're on a hill, so everything has to be terraced. Um, but uh, we go through every four months, and we reorganize them, and we check off what we've done. And now we're getting to where it's almost done. Now we're adding more. So it kind of like, it's kind of like candy. Once you have a bag of M&Ms and you finish it, you need to have another. So, <laughs> you know, a woman can never have too much chocolate. And, and so it's kind of like, We've done this in prepping, and we have our goals met here, but we thought we would be done, but now we really aren't. Let's take it to the next level. Gotcha. So what are we going to do next? And so you guys built – did you guys build your own place then? Well, we, we we got the bare land. They totally put the septic. The septic was already here. We had them rip it up because it was in the weirdest middle middle of the land. It was so stupid. So we, we ripped that up. We had them terrace and level some areas out, and then I, I literally told the guy, could you please leave now? I want to do it all myself. And literally, I, if you ever want a way to get rid of the underarm flab, it's a wheelbarrow and a shovel and a hill of dirt. Okay. And it's gone. But, um, and I put pictures on my website all the time of, you know, the, the hill. I don't see it moving, but everybody else says they do. But... um. So we we had the we got a modular home for the cottage, which is the 693 square foot building, and we put a shop on. And then we added we're slowly adding buildings. Like we built a studio last year for me because I take fiber from the animal and put a take it all the way to a sweater. Okay. So I'm spinning, weaving, knitting, crocheting. Um, now, is that all new stuff, too? I mean, was that something that was like when you were living the Macy's lifestyle? Because there's people that do. They live that lifestyle. But, they, you know, either mother or their grandmother taught them, and they, they knew crochet or knitting or something, and they, they kind of do it as their hobby. Or is, it, is that all new and part of this change? Well, it was a hobby, and I think my husband kind of was – he was – because he read the, the first book, and then he started researching it all. And I think he kind of looked at that like, honey, you do know that you would be able to knit all the sweaters and everything for us if anything happened. You would be such an asset. And and so I'm like, oh, okay. And then he, he said, if you need any tools, and this was his big thing. This is what men can do. If you need any tools to help you with that, you can have whatever you want as long as it doesn't pop, plug into a wall. 
So there's like a really cool Carter, $600, I think it was. And he bought me the Carter and, and he bought me, my mom got me a spinning wheel and he bought me a, a, a loom, rigid head loom. So okay, I know what a loom and a wheel is. What's a carter? A carter is something that when you get the fiber from the animal, you um, you clean it up and wash it, and then you stick it through this carter. It's a bunch of needles. Um, uh, okay. And it, it kind of straightens all of the fibers out so they're all it, in the and same. And untangles it and what have you. Yeah, and then it, it, okay. it ends up in this big sheet, and then you tear that sheet apart and spin with it. Very cool. Yeah, so I got all these really cool, cool toys that uh, he he was just letting me have because he wanted me to have them, or so I thought. <laughs> <laughs> but he was pushing you in the right direction without you knowing that's where you were headed. He was smart man. He is a very smart man. He was supporting my prepping lifestyle before I knew I had one. And, and so was some of that going on before y'all moved, or is that after the move? No, that was all before the move. Um, oh, okay. Because I was, because you work nine one one, you need to stay awake all the time. And I used to go to work at two in the morning. At, well, okay. for, for years, I started my my day at two, and you have that. So we were kind of like the cleanup crew. The bars close, then I'm sitting there. Yeah. And, yeah, and you know, you clean up all the the dead bodies that got shot that night. I'm not joking. And then you, um, you know, everybody goes to bed. You get the drunk drivers home or in jail. And you got about a two-hour period of time where you're probably going to have a call every five or ten minutes. But you need to keep yourself awake because uh, a, a tired dispatcher is worthless. Yep. And you cannot go from zero to 60 in a fraction of a second. So we all just kept our hands and our eyes moving. And I chose knitting. It was something that I could do and click, 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 keep me awake. I could make sweaters while I'm waiting for the phone to ring. And when a guy called with a heart attack, I could drop it in my lap. Gotcha. Gotcha. But your brain was switched on. Exactly. There's a lesson there with prepping and survival and sustainability, too. Uh-huh. Um, definitely. You're also like, I'm going I'm to have to, after all, looking at all this stuff on your side, I'm going to have to call you like the pallet queen. Oh, yes. Because apparently, like, you and the pallet have a very long-term relationship. I'm starting to hate the pallet. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Did you know that when you're using the reciprocating saw to tear it apart, because my my father-in-law gives me his old reciprocating saw, saws all thing, and if you use that and you're not strong like a, like a real man, okay. your brain goes back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> my whole body is like... <laughs> Sounds like you need a blade with a wider curve. Oh, I have a demo. I bought. Well, actually, my husband bought me a demolition. It's a it's a big blade. It's a demolition, tough blade. Last supposed to last supposed to be for pallets, and it works fabulous. Okay. But every once in a while, that pallet just picks up and starts a vibration mode, and you, <laughs> you just got to stop it and start all over. But you've done a lot with pallet wood, right? So oh. tell, tell folks about some of the stuff you've done with this stuff. Um, I build potting benches. That was my first real thing. I've built um, tables, little coffee tables for outside. Um, I built a whole bunch of planters. The first garden that we had, we built our dump lets us go to the, um, that's a whole post in itself. I'm no longer allowed to take things from the dump. But he only said I couldn't take things from the dump in, the, in, in our town, town town, not the one that's right next to us. Okay. Down the road from us, there's a little miniature one. So I have a relationship with that guy. He lets me take stuff and not <laughs> tell anybody. <laughs> but um, 
I built planters because the first year we built planters with the with the wood from the dump. And all the planters were a different size because you're just matching up wood and, and cutting and making as many planters as you can with the wood that you have. And they're all different sizes. So this, this year, this winter, I built them all the same size out of pallet wood, which I love so much better. They're all 40 by 40. And um, they're uniform. So now if I want to throw a cover over one, because you have to rotate your vegetables, if I want to throw the, you know, cover the tomatoes this year, and next year when I move the tomatoes to another bed, I rotate them and I cover them again. It's going to be the same cover. I don't have to remake a cover. But um, I made, so I made the planter beds, potting shed. I made a compost bin, a four-bay compost bin out of pallets. I've made a, um, a garbage container. A bear took off with our garbage. Nothing worse than cleaning up after a bear. Yeah, they make a mess of things. I had one destroy a 350-pound deer feeder a couple of years ago, and he destroyed it. He uh, pushed it over, and then he pounded it into the ground, and then he rolled around in the corn because he only wanted to eat a little bit of it, and he didn't want the deer to have it anymore. And uh, he came back every night. We had him on our game camera. He came back every night for about two weeks. He would eat one mouthful of corn, and then he would roll his stinky ass in the corn to just keep the deer away. <laughs> And then as soon as as soon as it came time of the year where you could shoot a bear, he just disappeared. Oh, it's gosh. like he knew. It's like he had a calendar. He's like, okay, I've screwed everything up. Now I can go. Maybe he has a deal with the people that made the regulations that says you couldn't shoot them other than this time. <laughs> he might have a deal with, uh, what's that, uh, Annie Hunting Group, uh, PETA. Yes. To, to go mess up deer feeders on uh, hunters before the season starts yes. and then leave. That's what it is. They're conspiring against us, the bears and the deers. Because you declared war on the deers. I saw yes. that on your site, too. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And so far, I'm not even going to say it, but so far I'm doing good. Okay. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but you know, see, if they want to mess with me, I'm just going to declare that they're, they're in for it because my husband bought me everything I need to go hunting now. So next okay. year, next year, um, I will get my revenge on those deer. Okay. Yeah, but this year I'm still doing the garden. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I had one guy email me, and he said that he barely got any production out of his garden uh, because he had to shoot seven deer oh my gosh. Uh, in one year over his garden. And I told him, I said, you have all the production you want. You have a deer garden. Yeah. Your garden grows deer. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Mine just might. <laughs> what, what, what kind of animals do you have? Because you've mentioned about the fiber stuff and all. Well, the fiber I was getting from a, a wonderful lady, she had an alpaca farm down um, south where we lived, and I got a whole bunch of alpaca, and I'm still actually processing some of that. Um, but I I make friends with just about anybody. My husband calls me, I, I in this world, I am Sanford and husband. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, because um, I actually should have a load of old gutters coming any moment. My husband's up waiting for those to unload, trading for pallets. So um, <laughs> guy needs four pallets to put stuff on, and he's giving me all the gutters from his house, and you know, so which I can use to attach to pallets that I have and grow lettuce in. Um, but gotcha. yeah, because you have lots of pallets, man. I'm telling you, I. It, my dad actually sells pallets. He goes and picks them up and recycles them and sells them to shipping companies. And I, I think you almost have as many pallets as he does. Right now I have 40 left over. Okay. And I was going to build a shed with them. 
but the the next 40 I have some more planter beds I need to build. Um, I use them as a retain for a retaining wall um, just to hold up a small section because they wouldn't be strong enough. Um, and with the kind of dirt that we have, they're perfect because once the dirt sets, it's not going to move. Um, even if the pallet wall falls apart, um, the dirt just will sit there and not move once it sets, settles down. Um, <clears throat> so I had 40. I have 40 left. So when he finishes with the four, I'll have 36. And I'll be building a garden tool shed with some of them. And then the last remaining ones will be for a open wood shed. And how much land do you guys have? We have two acres. And, okay. And we, we are on a hill. And we're halfway up the hill, which makes it perfect because we don't run, you know, we don't have the flat ground. We, we are now 65 inches of rain so far this season. And uh, go ahead. I was just saying, so you've done a lot with terraces, too. I see, like, every other picture I look at your place, something's terraced. Yes. Um, the cottage is actually in the middle of the, the middle section. We have an upper, a middle, and a lower and the cottage is in the middle section, um, only because we planned to have a what we call our forever house. And the forever house will be in the normal space where a normal house would be. Okay. Um, and then the uh, cottage would probably end up becoming the main studio. Or, or, oh, okay. Yeah, or a gym, whatever. But, um, but yeah, we have – everything is terraced because – I kind of can't weed on the hills when, when it gets really dry in the few months when the weeds need to be pulled. Last year, I was just pulling a weed and sliding down the hill. Gotcha. So this year, my husband um, my husband comes home, and he says, I got a surprise for you. And I'm like, what's that? And last time you said that, I got a truckload of gravel. It was, like, so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just have to keep in mind. You know, for a former Macy's addict, you've become a pretty easy wife to, to make happy. Really. I mean, pallets, gravel, dirt. I mean. Oh, it gets better. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I love my high heels and I miss them. But when your husband comes to you and he says, guess what's coming for you? And I'm like, what? And he goes, you have 100 two-by-sixes by tens coming. And I'm like, seriously? And he's like, yeah, you can terrace everything you want. So I terraced the hill right outside our cottage, and that's finished. It's 40 feet of terracing that's three, four, five, six, nine, nine terraces high. Every third one is gravel, um, so we can walk between. We can walk between each row, and it's all our fruits. We have 100 strawberry plants, a couple grapes, some currants, blueberries. Cause is that the area that's, like, on your last post it's got the cloches on the top and then i see the terrace is that that we were talking about no that that okay. that's the zucchini that you're looking at there oh, okay yeah okay. um zucchini and pumpkins and then you've got the peach tree and the apple tree that's right there but um, but I, I like what you're saying though so you've got these terraces done like three in one so you got three with something growing in them mm -hmm. or two in one yeah there's two rows and then every third row is gravel Okay, so you could reach either from up or below or above to each row only one off, and then that gravel is obviously not going to grow a lot of weeds and gravel. So no. you've got those weed-free plants. You can just walk along back and forth and do all your harvesting. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Harvesting. And that was all done with two-by-sixes. Two-by-sixes. And, you know, because with living in California, we made moving here, we, we actually make a third of what we used to, and I don't work. 
So I no longer have um, my salary. So I try to do things as cheaply as we can. And there's so much that needs to be done when you first move onto a property that this yeah, is. Tell me about it. I know what you mean. <laughs> you know, I got to stop here and say, when you moved to your property in Oklahoma, was it? Arkansas. 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 When you moved there, we were so jealous of you because you were getting out and doing your dream. But I got to say, when you moved back, I was kind of like, I think I might have a little bit more done than him. <laughs> we kind of have like a little uh, competition, but you don't know it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I've only been doing this now what, for 70 days since we got back, so. You need to post more, pic- more, more YouTube videos because I really enjoy watching those. I did just put out one today. We're turning a 30,000 square foot area into like a showcase card, like what somebody could do in a suburb. Uh, with multiple tanks and an aquaponics system built into the tanks and all. So uh, when we get off the interview, check that one out. And I just did one on where uh, some of the students that were here for the workshop uh, didn't get the plants quite deep enough. So we had all these plants in the ground, and I go out there, and they all look like they're going to die. And it it poured rain during the thing, and I know there's plenty of water in those beds, and I start pulling back the mulch, and the root balls are up. And I think what it was is that – you have four inches of wood mulch, and most people are just not accustomed to planting into something that's that deeply mulched. Mm-hmm. So they get a little bit afraid to go deeper and get that root ball way down below the soil surface level, but of course that's where it needs to go. So those two videos went up today, and we're trying to do like three or four videos a week now. Um, I've taken the approach of stopping the whole, let's get out the camera, let's get out the tripod, let's set it up. And just grab the freaking iPhone, flip it to HD, and film something and tell you what's going on. And that gets, and then you know, you should just upload it straight from the phone. Yeah, exactly. And, and that has made my life so much easier than trying to do it as a professional video production. And I think people probably like the, the, the quantity of video over the quality of video. You try to do the quality of content, but not really worry about the quality of the, the video experience. As long as you can hear it and see it. Yeah. There it is. And I, I have learned, though, with the iPhone, you can make people almost nauseous if you if you pan and tilt too fast. you gotta, you got to slow that thing down because you look at some of the videos and you're also getting motion sickness. Yep, yep, I've done that. I can make myself sick. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you just have to get out there and do it because if, if you were to stop, and, and I don't think any of your listeners would want this to happen, if you were to stop and do professional, with these are air quotes, professional videos, um, uh, and we would be taking you away from the progress on your land. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, right now, it's, 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 I'm doing something every day. And I, you do a lot of photos. Uh-huh. Because uh, there's photos all over your blog, and they're great. And that probably kind of clues you in to what it's like when you start videoing something. <laughs> I can do something in 10 minutes. If I want to video it being done, it takes an hour and a half. Well, I do videos, too. Did you okay. see? Did so you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Did you see me driving the skid loader? No. Uh, that's cool, though. <laughs> you know, we were talking about that the other day. I so love that thing. But we're on such a terrace. Um, we're on such a hill that there was only one little... My, and it got stuck. And I won't say who stuck it, but it was not me. <laughs> I, I got a great one for you that we're fixing to do a video on that will be like Dorothy holds the, the, just the video camera phone and... I'll actually do it, and we'll actually set it up. But you'll love this if you like comfrey. A guy came to my workshop named Nick, and he goes, this is my comfrey tractor. And what the hell is a comfrey tractor? It's yeah. a pot of comfrey, right? 
Well, he's drilled holes in the bottom of the pot. <laughs> so wherever you want comfrey, you stick this pot, you water it for a few weeks so that it grows. When you try to move the pot and it's stuck to the ground, the comfrey roots have penetrated the ground. You twist the pot to break the roots off clean, and you move it to wherever else you want comfrey, and comfrey starts growing out of the ground. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I bet you could do that with mint, too. Exactly, because we, we actually um, were just talking last night about... Um, spearmint has so many, uh, peppermint has so many uses, and we have a spearmint and a peppermint plant that we just got, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, I just might want to take some snips of it off and plant it down in the bottom part of our land. And, and people always say, like, I put mint in one of these beds, and they're like, it's going to give you a headache, it runs everywhere, it takes up all the space. Exactly. Yeah. There's places where you want that ground covered, and if you have something that can out-choke Bermuda grass... That's a good thing. I know you guys probably don't deal with coastal Bermuda up there. but I used to deal with Bermuda like You know crazy. what I mean. Yeah. Yes. I actually got mad at a neighbor because they were going to plant Bermuda grass, and we paid to plant, have them plant tall fescue instead. Because <laughs> if it's adjacent to you, it's sooner or later it's, it's on, your, it's on were, your property, yeah, too. They were right next door to us, and I was like, dude, if you plant that, uh, we're going to have serious issues. So let me just pay for the fescue. Here's the seed. The, the, the geese like it, though. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about getting ducks. Okay. Because my, uh, in two weeks, we have collected 515 slugs. Yeah, you won't have a slug problem if you have ducks. Uh, they'll dig lots of little holes here and there when it rains, but um, they will take out. I would, if, where you live, slugs are an issue, and I would probably go with ducks over geese uh, up in the northwest. Down here, we don't have a slug problem. We don't, I've never seen a slug in Texas, honestly. I'm sure they exist somewhere. But in the north north central Texas area, we don't have any at all. Uh, but the geese, it, I'm just going to you know prepare anybody for this. Uh, if you get geese, they will triple their size in the first week and a half. Oh my gosh! Uh, they grow like mad. I've got them in a the old chicken tractor until they're got some feathers on them, and I can let them start roaming around. Um, but they've been in there two weeks yesterday. And the thing's two feet tall, and when they stand way up and they kind of, like, when they're trying to look up real high, their heads already almost are able to touch the top of the, of the thing. Oh, wow. So they've gone from fitting in this little, eight of them fit in this little box two weeks ago, to where when they stand upright, they're almost two feet tall at the head. Well, I don't think I can get geese. I kind of wonder if I can because we live um, around right next to a bird sanctuary where the, yeah. where the geese are. Yeah. And um, they fly over morning, and then they fly back at night. And um, and I kind of would be scared that my geese would say, oh, look, friends, and they'd fly no, off. No, if you back. get, like, Chinese or Toulouse or Africans or something, they can't fly. Oh, good. They're too freaking fat. Oh. They're not going anywhere. The only problem you have is you probably don't have a lot of grass. And that's – they're like a little mini cow, basically. They want they want grass. I mean, when I move the tractor, they're – as soon as, like, the next – inch of grass is exposed they're all running to it yeah we and i'm already moving this tractor now again these things are two weeks old and i've got a tractor that is about six or eight feet long by just under four feet wide and to keep these guys from doing too much there's eight of them i'm moving it about four or five times a day now oh my gosh they love the grass, man, and they're doing a great job on it as soon as i'm off interviewing you i'm watching them right now i'm going out to move them again oh wow and they poop a lot too. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't. You, what you're saying is I wouldn't have to go up into into the little town 
little girl town and and buy my cow poop. Mm-mm. I buy. They have this uh, wonderful little place here that all the um, farmers take their cow poo, and he heats it up and uses it to fuel the town. Oh, okay. And then the byproduct of it is this absolutely beautiful compost that has been, you know, all the uh, all the methane has been burned out of it. Okay. And you put it on a plant, and literally that next day when you wake up, your plant is green and loving it. Wow, very cool. Yeah, you'd have plenty of your own poo if you got a, a flock of geese. I just don't know. You have to look at, with any animal thing, you have to look at the intrinsic characteristics of the animal, the needs of the animal, and the outputs of the animal. And then you say, does that match up with what we want and what we can provide? And if it matches, great. If it doesn't match, there's so many great choices out there. And, you know, your geese won't control your slugs the way ducks will. I no. mean, you put... You could even put some smaller breed of ducks in there if you just want them, you know, just to have them running around. You don't ever want them for meat. Some runners would be really cool in your property because they'd you'd see them. They look like penguins going up all the terraces. <laughs> well, we have a bog too, so I'm thinking. Oh the, yeah, yeah. The ducks might really like the bog, and I heard they clean up the algae and everything and clean the okay. bank around. And that's really that's that makes them even a better decision. If ducks can be really messy if they don't have a place to just be a duck. If they have a place to be a duck, they don't really mess everything else up. But, you know, if they don't have a place like that that they can get wet and play in the mud and be a duck, then they create their own place. And they generally create lots of little places because they don't have one really good place. So any place where water leaks or something all of a sudden becomes duck mud hole. But if, if they got a place to go, they're good. I mean, Ben's place in Vermont, they don't cause a mess at all because they have two little ponds to swim around in. Oh, nice. Well, they can have the bog. There you go. Yeah. I would do ducks. I would definitely do ducks if I were you. Well, I'm doing chickens next week. We have had like 13 days of straight rain. And um, so I'm doing, I get to start my, we're going into a dry period right now. So that means I have to jump on to, uh, as soon as it dries, I'm starting my chicken coop. So, cool. And then I get my chickens. And um, it never stops here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got a chicken breed for you to consider. I've never owned them before. I just learned about these from a student. But they're beautiful-looking birds, even the hens. It's called a Wells Summer. Oh, Wells Summer. Wells Summer. It's one word. And the guy said they produce these brown, almost chocolate-covered eggs with, like, a red swirl in them. Oh. And that just seems different and neat. Yeah. So. I like different. Hey, everything's my whole property here is different. You have you seen on the internet? Have you seen my uh, my water collection system? I saw a water collection system. Probably the one you're talking about. You had like uh, I think it was like six or seven fifty gallon drums pieced together. Yeah, that the one I have four hundred gallons. Hey, it only takes us takes a city girl losing power once, realizing <laughs> that you do not get to flush the toilet if you have well water and you have no power. Correct. So that I did not know that. Now you do. <laughs> yes. I can deal without electricity, but I didn't know that the water stopped running when when you're when you're out here. Um so you know, you you can't we lost power the first year for four days. We lost power the la- next second year for five days. And this year we haven't lost it yet. But um it only took the first year and I was like going to the farmers and saying, Hey, do you have any of those fifty five gallon drums? They um, you know, they, they have the teat dip in them, the iodine which you use for purifying water. Um, so I kind of rinsed them out and hooked them all up to a system. So now when we lose power, I just throw the garden hose down the hill, 
right to the back door. I have to go to the bathroom. Fill up. <laughs> Fill up the back tank, and down she down she goes. That's great. And see, so you were able to pretty much scavenge those. Yeah, I I did the whole thing. All I had to do took an old uh, garden hose because everybody uses PVC connections, and we mm-hmm. we have really high winds here. So if a wind, if a bin is half full and a wind knocks it over, which is quite possible because it flings barbecue, huge barbecues across the land, um, if, if a wind knocks it over, then it's going to break the PVC. Sure. So I used garden hose and um, hoses and cut them apart and put the fittings on them and connected them all together and drilled them in just like you would a normal water bin. But this way, if I need to take one offline, I just unscrew it, kink the hose, pull that one off, drain the water into another bucket or use it in the garden, and then put the new one on and hook it up. Very cool. Yeah. Very simple. And, I mean, what what percentage of the building materials you've used have either been leftovers from other projects or scavenged without a real financial outlay? Um, oh, gosh, I'd say probably 70% of everything I'm using. Wow. I only go out and buy certain things. But people are so willing. When you tell people, like, tires, I have a guy that will bring me tires whenever I want them. I just I just go see him. I say, hey, you know, loaves of bread, homemade bread really does talk. And uh, I'll make him some crunchy, you know, bread and take it over, and he'll bring me uh, tires next time he's down in this part of the county. And and I use those to build. I have no backyard, so I'm actually building a retaining wall out of tires. Um, and, you know, you can build anything out of tires. And uh, so he'll bring me tires, so I'm going to be finishing the wall, moving the dirt and finishing the wall this summer. So Very cool. That's called tire chasing season. Tire chasing season. Yes, because no matter how I try to roll the tire to where I need it to go, it inevitably flips out of my hand or hits a rock or something and just goes straight down the cliff, the, the, the hill. And then, you know, and it's we have bear and bobcats, and it's like going into the forest. And I'm looking at it, and at first I tried to run to catch them, and then I just slid on my butt all the way down the hill, and I'm like, okay, I'm not doing that again. But it, it comes a time where you're just standing there, and now I just look to see which tree it last hit, which bushes last moved. And then when my hubby wakes up, I go and I say, I need you to go and help me get tires. You know... Uh, myself and a few others have talked about doing uh, like a online version of like reality prepper TV. Oh yeah, and, but a real one, like not making people out to be crazy, not some dude laying on the ground crying because the other guy fired a shot in a deer blind or whatever nonsense those idiots come up with next. If we do this, we are coming to your place. Yes, yes, you'll have- because because I mean you almost can't write this <laughs> right. We have a, a former Macy's addict. That's building all of this stuff out of, you know, pallets and uh, scavenged material and stuff like that, tumbling down mud hills, chasing tires into bear infested woods, and, and enjoying the hell out of it, it sounds like. <laughs> oh, I love it. And, and and I think the funniest thing about it is I'm so willingly giving myself up on Facebook and on my blog. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I can't laugh about it, because really... Sometimes I look in my closet and I see all my high heel shoes and my really cool clothes that I still fit in thanks to the hill that I'm trying to move. And and I think, you know, I really want a place to wear those, but there is no place to wear those. So, and then you look out at the land and you're like, but, you know, nowhere else in the world would I ever be able to sit and not have to worry about somebody, 
you know, in my old world where I came from, not having to worry about somebody shooting at my house. Because hmm. that, you know, and I still have the, um, I, I asked my husband the other day, at what point in time, and I don't, I, I know some other dispatchers have this, but at what point in time do you not worry about getting out of the shower and somebody being in your house? <clears throat> because that's just a reality. You know, how many times have I answered the phone? You know, 911, how can I help you? And the woman is screaming in the phone that some man's breaking in her house. She's in a rope. She was in the shower. and She doesn't know what to do. Sure. You know, you, sure. you go through that over and over and over again. So then you're taking a shower and you're like, I think I'm going to build a shelf to hold my, uh, my, my, my weapon just in case I do get out of the shower. Yeah, I, I think law enforcement uh, people of all walks of life almost get a little bit over uh, sensitive in some ways because they're 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 so exposed to it. I remember my uh, brother-in-law just couldn't believe that I would actually not put my vehicle in the garage. Not that I would leave it unlocked with the windows down or something like that, but it wasn't in the garage. Oh yeah. And I'm like, well, first of all, Mark, I have one, of, and I had one of those houses with the two doors, and they're kind of narrow and all. And I'm like, well, my truck doesn't fit in there. Right, you know, I, so it's not. It doesn't matter if I want it in there. It's still not. It's not going. It doesn't fit in in the garage. He's like, I'd get a new truck, and he was serious. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm like, you know, I, he's like, I have vehicles broken into all the time. I'm like, well, if anybody breaks in there, they're not going to get much. You yeah. know, well, and my garage maybe, is my maybe a bite the ass from a German Shepherd, <laughs> but about it. Uh, but yeah, he was dead serious, and I think there is some of that, and. It, it, like you said, it's good that you still have it, but on some levels, it'd be nice to maybe ratchet it down a little bit because you're not in, you know, S Southern Cal anymore. No, no. And, and, you know, it's just every once in a while. But it's just, I think it's good to have it because you're always thinking about the what if situation. What if this happens? Okay, well, then I keep myself safe like this. And yeah. if you saw the um, the news, there was a woman, and I, I, I kind of got mad at the woman. There was a woman that was raped in um, uh, Josephine, Oregon. And she was she called nine one one, but there's no officers to send. They don't have sheriff working at night. Oh anymore. my god! I was so um, <clears throat> like I had a mixture of I can't believe it and I told you so at yeah. the same time when I heard that story. I put that up on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was um, I listened to the whole nine one one tape, and at first you're kind of getting mad at the dispatcher. It's like why aren't you asking her these questions that I would have asked? And then, yeah. and then she actually did start asking the questions. But as you start hearing the woman explaining, you know, answering them, you're like, seriously, you know, he's he 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 has a history for this. From everything you're telling us, you know, he has a history of doing this. Why were you not better prepared? And he had taken her cell phone and and before, so she didn't have any phone numbers to get out of it. So why would you be stuck in your home not knowing any phone numbers, so that of people that you could call to come and help you? Yeah. Why would you not yeah. tell your neighbors, be careful, be on the lookout. If I pound on the wall, this is what's going on. It, it seems like it's one of those things where the, you, you can't believe the system failed, but on the other hand, you can't believe that the person that was uh, having the problem uh, didn't didn't do anything either. I mean, I think that that's a place that people just need to uh, kind of get a, a clue with the fact that, Government can't fix all our problems, and, and government can't always show up. And I mean, there's there's a reason for the Second Amendment. Yep. Um, and and I know there were some people on my Facebook page who said, "Well, if she would have had a gun, she might have shot the guy. Somebody'd be dead." And my response good. was, "Good." Yeah, good. Good. She wouldn't have been raped. Yeah. 
right? I, 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 as, you know, I can't speak for a woman. All I can do is, is kind of empathize and say that I think it would be easier to live with killing someone who tried to rape you than having been raped. Hey, I'm I, right there I with really you. I really believe that. And why didn't she? Well, up here in Oregon, when I because I worked here for several months, we were not allowed to tell people if the building was burning to get out of the building because yes. because somebody because <laughs> somebody I, might literally hurt themselves while they're getting out of the building and then turn around and sue us. So what you had to do was say, do whatever you feel is safest. Really, eighty percent. You have that 80-20, 10 percent of the people know exactly what to do, the right thing to do all the time. Ten percent of the people act, but they always do the wrong thing. And then eighty percent of the people, and I know from answering these phones that this is totally true. Eighty percent of the people absolutely freeze and don't not know what to do, and they need to be told. Yeah, they don't do anything. You know how many times have I told people get out of the house? Yeah, and yeah. and they do, and yeah, good thing they got out of the house because there was somebody inside their house when they'd come home. You know, talking yeah. to somebody, they're like, I think somebody's in my house. Okay, where are you? I'm in the living room. Should you be in the living room? Why? You think somebody's in your house? Yeah. Well, get out of the living room. Get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's the mentality of the people today. Oh, well, it, you know, it seems like that is kind of now in your past. that You don't deal with that anymore. Yeah, but I still have fun listening to my husband's stories. <laughs> oh, because he's still doing the same job. Yeah. 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 So, so how's he feel about the fact he has to sludge off to work every day and you stay home with the with the uh, upkeep of the uh, homestead? Jack, he doesn't have a to do list. Oh, okay. He, he, okay. He he tells me, honey, I want to. I built him. Well, he helped me build the out part of the barn because I don't do roofs. So he helped me build the out part of a barn, and then I finished the inside of it, everything around it, and I'm I'm still finished caulking. I'm waiting for it to stop raining so that I can actually go paint it and finish it. But uh, I'm I'm in my shop, which is the garage, and it's my shop. Okay, just get that. <laughs> it's just my shop. And uh, he I he says I need a bench, and I'm like, okay, give me the di- diameters and everything. And he goes to work and. Four hours later, I post a picture for him to hear. Is this what you wanted? He's like, that's perfect. Thank you. You know, he's got no honey-do list. He tells me what he wants, and he comes home, and what man wouldn't like that? Yeah, you're setting a very high bar for other women in the audience with uh, this prepper wife thing. Uh, On that note, I mean, we've been on for like an hour now, so I want to kind of come toward the end here. But um, the question I've asked every woman that I've had on with this series so far, and will continue to do so, is – Try to put yourself back in the mode, and you know what did work for you individually. But just as a woman with kind of the woman's intuition thing, what do you think the the best thing a man could say to his wife to open her toward prepping? You know, that would be like the generic piece of advice. What was kind of the opening statement without having your wife think you've gone off into road warrior madness or something like that? You can have whatever you want, honey, as long as it doesn't plug into a wall. (laughs) (laughs) I'll work on you. I'll buy you whatever you want. You want that Carter? You want that over there? Whatever you want, as long as it does not plug into a wall. That can get expensive though because shoes don't plug in the walls and uh, no, as long as it you know if it was it in that realm, it. yeah, yeah, and okay. oh, that was smart. That and um, you know, my husband says we need to stock up and we need to you know prep and stuff. And and my my thing was okay. My version of prepping was going to the uh, the store and buying a bottle of hair dye, and <laughs> and and he was why are we doing that? And I said you know I'm just going to tell you right now. 
this city girl does not want to look in the mirror three months in a disaster and see her original hair color. I'm just going to dye it right back to my original color, whatever that may be, and let's just leave it at that. You know, when everything collapses, I'm going in the bathroom. Just leave me for a couple hours. I'll come. You out. know that that actually touches back on something. I did a show a long time ago, episode 69, I think it was. It was called Flipping Your Spouse, and I gave like these 19 rules for what you do as you're on this walk in the other side, whether you're male or female, is not coming along. And one of them was if they suggest anything that's remotely reasonable, no matter how insufficient you think it might be, shut up other than saying, I think that's a great idea, let's do it. Yep. You know, if it's like, we should put away four gallons of water. We all know four gallons of water isn't going to go very much. Shut up and do it. If they take a step, don't crap on it. Embrace it and do it with them. Yep, that and I'm getting ready to put a thousand more gallons online. <laughs> And it all started with a bottle of hair dye. It all started with a bottle of hair dye. You know, if you want me to be a prepper, honey, I do not want to look in the mirror and see my hairline. But you know what? I've heard that from almost every female we've had on the show, even when it wasn't for the Women of Prepper series. If we just talked a little bit about prepping in general, even if they were on for something else, the concept of some comfort items. Yep, that's my one comfort item. And I think men, we want the comfort items, too. We just don't want to admit it. We're like, I'm going to live on tree bark. I'm going to live on tree bark. <laughs> And chicken heads. And that's the way it's going to be. But, you know, we're, we, we probably all have our, you know, either like with me, it's Starbucks coffee and Argentinian Malbec wine. I've been Starbucks, the, I've been Starbucks free since 2009. Okay. <laughs> now I'm actually moving toward Mai Thai coffee because that stuff's amazing. Yes. Uh, but I have premium coffee and premium wine. The zombies can be on the way here. I'll be taking them out with a shotgun in one hand. And I'll be, either if it's the morning, I'll have my, my coffee. And if it's the evening, I'll have my wine. And I don't see a problem with that. And I also think, you know, if everybody stores bean bullets and band-aids and we end up in some kind of a long-term scenario, what is a bottle of wine going to be worth? You know, what is a Hershey bar <coughs> worth yep. when no one's seen one in three months? What is a bottle of hair dye going to be worth to a woman that has <laughs> blonde on the end and black on the top? <laughs> What what is the bottle of hair dye worth to the person with their roots showing? Exactly. I haven't quite thought of it. But you have all this stuff like really documented well. You want to tell people about your website? My website is Thumper, like the rabbit lane, all one word, dot com. And I have a Facebook page that's Thumper Lane Homestead. And um, that's that's it. I post when I can. In the summer when it's not raining, I don't post very much because I'm outside working, and I usually do yearly catch-ups. And uh, whenever I post something that I've done, I always try to go back and post the picture of what it looked like before um, so people can get an idea. It literally changes every time somebody comes to the land. They're like, oh, wow, something changes. That's awesome. That's awesome. And i got to say this. I'm on your Facebook page right now. I just liked your page. And uh, I can see the concept has changed here. Because you used to be the macy's holic right? Yeah. And now I've got this picture. It's a cup of cocoa, yeah. and it's sitting on a mountain of, like, fairy moss seeds. Yeah. With and it says, in my defense, there was a BOGO sale going on, which, for those that don't know, I do because I have a wife. BOGO is buy one, get one. Um, and I imagine BOGO seeds are were not what you were buying on BOGOs, uh, let's say, 10 years ago. No, no, no. Shoes or handbags or God knows what. Bandolinos, Ralph Lauren, you, t you, you <laughs> name it. That was in my closet. 
So you should write an ebook from BOGO shoes to BOGO seats. <laughs> I actually am in the process. That's the whole reason of the starting Thumper Lane years oh. years ago was to chronicle my everything that we were doing with the land and everything. If you go back all the way to the, the beginning of it, you'll see everything, you know, from trying to find the land, the pictures and the videos of bare land, um, even down to the dream house that we were going to put on it all the way up to now working on it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think everybody should get by your site, subscribe to your blog feed, uh, friend you up on Facebook. I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. And if you write a book, I'll buy it. <laughs> hey, I want to know when we can order the uh, number six of uh, um, the 299 days. We got online last night and he said it was supposed to be available like but tomorrow and we couldn't it's- reorder. It's within a couple days because he's been on me about getting back on the show, and uh, it's like trying to work him in right now because we were like jammed out in August. But uh, yeah, Glenn's book's going to be out soon. As soon as it's out, I'll, I'll make an announcement on the air. But I thought it was supposed to be June something or another. Oh. I don't know. Let's look real quick right now. This is live from yesterday. Yeah, because <laughs> I am like so addicted to that book. Really? Oh, gosh, yeah. It's really bad. I, I recommend to all of your listeners, if they have not read book four and five, do not read it during a thunderstorm. Uh, okay. Because when when the flashbangs and everything start going off and, and things start happening, it really is scary when you're, when, when you're, you know, curled up in the chair and it's pounding down thunder and lightning and rain and, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> You're giving me an idea here. I have this DVD or CD I haven't listened to forever. Back when I was younger, I would listen to certain things to go to sleep, and it was a thunderstorm CD, and it just played a thunderstorm. I'm thinking some books might be really cool with that going on in the background. Oh, heck yeah. Number four and five was one of them. All right. Well, hey, uh, Tabitha, thanks for being with us today. I really appreciate it. It was a blast. And I think a lot of people will really pick up a lot of stuff, and uh, hopefully, you get a lot of new readers to your blog. And folks, you gotta go by thumperlane.com because there's a lot of really cool projects, innovative stuff there. Uh, pallet construction by a former's Macy addict, and uh, really good stuff, Tabitha. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Jack, for having me. And folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today, along with uh, I'm just gonna pause here a second. How do you say your last name? Betancourt. Betancourt. With that, folks, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Tabitha Betancourt, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. You don't have to be another face in the crowd. Someday we'll read
can't pay Cause nobody up there cares They're living for today Revolution is you.